Hello, welcome to Bees with Ben podcast. Thank you for joining us today and we're really glad to have you here. This podcast is designed for you, a community of enthusiastic, like-minded people who want to hear the journeys of others, learn more about these crucial, fascinating insects and how to become better beekeepers. Here's your host, Ben Moore. Hey everyone, Bees with Ben. Wow, have I got an episode for you today. I have the guru of all gurus online. Now, this man is just an absolute wealth of knowledge. I was absolutely fortunate enough uh, a few years ago to spend a week with Mr. Trevor Weatherhead and he's absolutely a guru. We're going to hear his story as well as talk about Arbic and what is Arbic. So thank you so much for your time, Trevor. Anytime, Ben, anytime. Oh, I really appreciate this. So, so tell us, obviously, we're going to jump into the question. Um, if you don't like me saying, you're not a spring chicken, so you've been keeping bees for quite some time, haven't you? That's right, yep. First hive I purchased, 1972. Oh, there you go. Six years before I was born. <laughs> <laughs> so you got your first hive, and uh, and what happened, Trevor? You obviously you got the bug, but what happened in the years to follow? Well, uh, that was 1972. I got my first hives. I was working in the forestry department then, and uh, uh, then from 1978, I sorry, we go back 72, 73. I went to North Queensland. I got transferred up during the job and took some hives up with me, and that's sort of where I learned a lot of my beekeeping. I joined the Far North Queensland Beekeepers Association, and met a gentleman up there called Sam Collins, who was my mentor, and I learned a lot from him. So. Got transferred back to Brisbane in 1978, uh, bought some hives back again with me. 1983, I left the forest and went over to the Department of Primary Industries, as it was then, as an apiary inspector, okay. an experimentalist. Left there in 1988 and uh, started up my own queen rearing business with my wife, Marion, and was in that for 24 years up until uh, 2012 when the old neck, the back and the knees were sort of giving problems. So we sold up then. So, and then I've that have been working with Arbic since then. That is awesome. Now, I've got a million and one questions. So let's go back. So you work for forestry. So because I know, as I said, I spent some little bit of time working with you and you'd point at a tree and just go, that's the you know, eucalyptus maculata and this is, uh, you know, the, the, the Banksia serrata. And you, you'd, so do you think working for the forestry helped, obviously, identifying tree species? And that was sort of a oh, stepping yeah. stone? Oh, yeah, most definitely, even though I was sort of in the – in the timber side of it, uh, working with the timber and sawmills and treatment of timber and that, I used to drive around and, uh, you know, used to keep a record of what was flowering, could see what was flowering, and the early training was out in the bush the first three years as a forest trainee, so we got to learn a lot of uh, trees out there then. So over the years, it just sort of helped, and most definitely the uh, forestry background was great. Yeah, that's awesome. Fantastic. And, and so now regards to the business, so uh, you decided, was it 83, you decided to... I- 1988, 1988. 1988. Yep. You decided, you know yep. what? Let's let some breed some queens. So, um, and what sort of numbers were you sort of breeding, and what sort of what was happening along those sort of lines, Trevor? Yeah, well, at the peak, we used to employ one and a half staff, sort of one full time and one part time, and we'd put out we would put out between uh, four and five thousand queens a week in the season, and we used to export as well. Like we exported wow. to. Uh, well, I can remember you know, exporting to places. Well, Canada was the main one. Yep. Uh, we sent them to to um, uh, New Caledonia, to Japan, Pakistan, Guadeloupe and the West Indies, Tahiti, uh, New Caledonia. I think they're, they're the main ones that we'd exported to over the 
over the time, but Canada was the main one. We had a lot of queen bees going there over the years. Wow, there you go. Because it was interesting. I recorded last week uh, Cole Wilson, um, who was is doing a very similar thing, and, and he was saying it was better money you know, sending the queens um, overseas as opposed to locally. Uh, well, I found in our time it was better to look after the local market because I'd seen previously where people uh, had concentrated on sort of sending queen bees overseas and didn't look after the local market and then when the overseas market collapsed they sort of had nothing to come back to okay. so yes. from our point of view the local market came first and uh, then we exported uh, after that so uh, yeah that local market that's that's where you get uh, yeah most of your loyalty from beekeepers yes. and you're not subject to sort of like changes in governments and overseas where you know Iran was a classic example where a lot of queens went in there and the Shah got deposed and all of a sudden that market cut off Okay, yes, okay. And, and, and breeding the queens, Trevor, what was the biggest challenge for you when you are breeding queens? Uh, probably the, the biggest challenge for us was uh, getting out there when it rained and catching queens. Okay. Uh, you yeah. know, I used to have a beach umbrella and go yes. out and sit under a beach umbrella and I often wondered if the tax audit had been one day, they'd be asking, what's this beach umbrella for that you bought? So uh, going out of those days, I can always remember uh, our boy, we had three sons and growing up and uh, when it was school holiday time and Monday morning was Monday and Tuesday were the catching days and Monday morning it was raining, they'd cower in bed and say, which one's going to get asked to come out and hold the umbrella? So... That, that was the hardest part, catching in the rain. Catching in the rain. And what about the three boys, the three lads? Are any still involved or involved with bees? No, no, no. Two engineers and a school teacher. So they didn't go into the bees. I think they, those days out with holding the umbrella, I think must have uh, put them off a little bit. But uh, no, they'd come and help if, if I asked them to. But no, they never sort of got into it. So uh, yeah, that's what they did. Oh, they're fantastic. And, and now you mentioned you're a, a bee inspector. Um, so, so, so tell us, how long were you doing that for, Trevor? Yeah, that was from 1983 to 88 with the Queensland Department yep. uh, of uh, Primary Industries, as it's called it. It's now called the Department of Ag. So yep. used to have to go out and do all the uh, inspections of the uh, particularly queen breeders because in those days you used to have to sign certification to go interstate and all that sort of thing and export. So we used to go out and I used to go, go out and do all the inspections and that. Um, that was that was probably what sort of got me into the queen rearing side of it, seeing all that side of it, and particularly... Norm Rice, uh, he was he was a you know a wealth of knowledge, and I used to enjoy going inspecting him and talking to him. And uh, for those on your podcast that know Norm, uh, Norm's still alive, and on the first of January next year he'll turn one hundred. Wow, that's awesome! <laughs> Fantastic. There you go. That is, that is absolutely brilliant. Um, and so, obviously, you know we're working with bees. You know, you had the business for twenty four years. Um, what were the sort of the highs and lows, you know, I mean, of having that bee business? Uh, probably the highs, particularly in the queen rearing, was being able to, you know, ship stuff all around the world and uh, particularly with Canada because when we I went to on a tour in 1986 when I was in the department then at that time over to uh, US and Canada and when we went to Canada, we were able to talk to the department there and that's how we got Canada opened up, bringing all the information back oh, okay. and gave it to the... Uh, Murray Charlton, who was then Secretary of the Australian Queen Bee Breeders Association, and he liaised with Canberra to get the information they wanted. And then we had the Canberra market open up, and then again in 1995, when uh, we had the uh, Asian bees and the Barrow turn up in Torres Strait, they were wanting to cut us off. And I did a quick trip uh, over to 
Canada and uh, liaise with the Canadian Honey Council and the Canadian Association of Professional Apiculturists and their department over there. And we had our veterinary councillor from Washington, D.C. come up and we were able to negotiate a change to the certification. So we kept that market open. So that's probably one of the highs. Uh, the lows probably uh, is the different incursions we've had over the time. You know, chalk brood, uh, small hive beetle, they'd be the two main ones. Um, particularly when chalk brood came here as a queen breeder, we were stopped from sending interstate then. So uh, we were then chasing honey at that particular time because we couldn't, we could only sell queens within Queensland, but they eventually opened up, but certainly uh, those ones and the small hive beetles, the other one that certainly caused a lot of havoc within the industry. So that'd be the lows, those particular three incursions over the time. Yeah, interesting. And in regards to the chalk brood, you know, was it like a, you know, I think all the hives have chalk brood now. It's not much of an issue as such, but was it sort of back then, obviously, this new sort of fungal disease, was it like, you know, was it more prevalent within the hives back then as opposed to now? Or was it. When it first came in, I think it was about 1993 when we found it here in Queensland because it was interesting. I'd seen it over in the States and Canada when I on that trip in 1986. So, uh, you know, it was exactly what I thought it would be. And it sort of took over some of the hives. Some hives that have it worse than others. But then after a few years, it sort of went away and we never saw much of it again until about, oh, it must have been about 2010, something like that. It suddenly came back again. And I think we ended up with some new strains of it. So it's sort of been there again ever, ever since. But, uh, no, when it first came in, uh, as I say, Queensland was shut off for the rest of uh, Australia shut us off, so we couldn't send Queens interstate at that time. So that made it a bit harder at that time. Yes, okay. And then, and then, uh, sort of rewind the uh, clock a little bit forward. The African small hive beetles. So, and and so, what was the impact then? When you, when did you first talk us through when you first noticed them in in some yeah, two thousand and two was when we first had a small hive beetle turn up in uh, in New South Wales. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of ways it could have come in. Uh, one was, like, for instance, 2000 was the Olympics in Sydney, and we know that uh, all the containers that came for the Olympics were sent out to Richmond, where where it was sort of found out around that area, uh, and so they were stored there, so if there was any dirt that might have come in. The other thing is we knew that the RAF base at Richmond, uh, they used to bring, when they came in from overseas, their quarantine wasn't real crash hot, and fruit, which we know that uh, does, uh, you host small hive beetle, they just take it down to the local dump and uh, dump it. So that's a couple of ways it came in. So uh, it, it did that. It stopped a lot of exporting overseas. Um, we, we've never got back into the European Union again because of small hive beetles. Okay. So yeah. um, exports to that, yeah, live bees, honey's all right, but live bees stopped there. So that was 2002. And then, of course, it was brought up here, unknowingly brought up here to Queensland. And then it sort of spread through the eastern states uh, plus into the northern part of uh, Western Australia. Okay, interesting. Okay. And and so regards to the European Union, do they have um, small hive beetles anywhere yet? They had okay. some around Italy at one yes, stage. Yeah. And I know that uh, they had some in it was either Spain or Portugal. They bought some queens in from the United States and they had it in it. But I think them, they may have got rid of that. So I haven't heard how the ones around Italy are going, how far it spread from there. But uh, up, up, and that was uh, when they got it there. So, but when we first got it, they never had it. So that's why they shut off to us for live bee exports. 
Yeah, interesting. And now, obviously, Varroa, uh, Destructor, that's the big one. Um, give us, uh, sort of for the listeners, uh, so I've got beekeepers, a uh, commercial with over a thousand hives and, and some you know, recreational beekeepers got their first hive. What's going to happen um, when Varroa Destructor lands on our shores? What's, what's your prediction? Well, first up, if we get it early enough, we'll go for eradication. Yep. Uh, in the event that we can't eradicate it and it uh, then becomes uh, endemic, we'll have to uh, sort out, for instance, we've got some chemi- the chemicals that are used, the acaricides that are used overseas for treating varroa mite. We've got some of those, what we call a shelf registration with the Australian Pesticides and Veterinary Medicines Authority. They're there so that what will happen is that in the event that we get it declared endemic, then they'll just sign the dotted line and we'll be able to use those chemicals straight away because what happened in New Zealand when they got it in 2000, they never had anything registered like that and it took them six months to register it. So you can imagine how many more hives were lost in the six months, but we've done that. And then, of course, we've got people now that are are looking at importing stock um, through the quarantine station in Victoria to bring in some genes, this uh, VSH, Varroa Sensitive Hygienic, genes to be able to control the varroa themselves and have that here. But I think my my thing is that our first reaction will certainly be a uh, treatment react regime and then we'll those that are doing the bee breeding side of it will certainly have stock out there. So how much is out there in the intervening time will depend how long we'll have to go for the chemicals. But I think integrated pest management will be the, yeah. the case. There'll be all sorts of different things. Um, some people will use the drone comb method, pick you've only got a few hives where you put drone combs in and then uh, when they're capped you take them out and kill them because they're trapping a lot of the varroas and things like that so there'll be different methods for different numbers of people Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting times do you think I know it's a prediction, you know, and it's very sort of open on the air, do you think we'll see it anytime soon? Like what are the chances? I know because you guys are and you know the um, biosecurity are doing a marvellous job but do you think and it'll, it'll you know, slide through the radars? Uh, well, I think probably eventually it will. I mean, New Zealand got it in 2000, and we haven't had it here since. So we've sort of been lucky in that situation. We dodged the bullet uh, back in 2018, I think it was, when the uh, equipment came in from uh, Texas in the US that had a nest in it and had Varroa Destructor in it, but they found it at the port, uh, at the port before it got sent out to where it was going to. So... Uh, we've sort of been lucky in those situations, and from from an industry's point of view, from a national point of view, from our Arctic's point of view, we're pushing to try and get better inspections at the port of embarkation, so okay. that yep. they pick it up there before they put it on the ship, and we're not relying on picking it up when it gets here. So, as I say, you know, 2000 in New Zealand, and we still haven't got it yet. So uh, let's hope we have many more years yet yeah. to come without it. Yeah, no, true, absolutely true, because it is a devastating. Uh, little parasite, which is um, and is and the amount of work that's being done on it. Because am, am I correct in saying they've only relatively recently worked out that the the varroa doesn't suck the hemolymph, but it's actually the proteins or the fats from the bee? Is that correct? Yeah, that seems to be the latest research that's showing up. So uh, it's but the big thing is, of course, in the, it doesn't really matter which they suck. It's when they start sucking, that's when they spread the viruses yes. around, particularly the deformed wing virus, and that's what kills the bees more than the varroa. So uh, you know. Keep it out and hopefully uh, yeah, many more years to come. Exactly, yeah, so true. Um, and you mentioned about the deformed wing virus. Um, so, so so, talk what happens to the bees when that's obviously spread. What, what impact does that have, Trevor? 
the four wing virus basically means that the bees, when they hatch out, the wings don't pump up. What happens with a bee just before it sort of hatches out, it pumps its wings up, so it inflates its wings, so to speak. And what happens is they, they can't inflate them and the wings are all um, bedraggled. And when they hatch out, they can't fly, so therefore they're useless as a, as a sort of a bee to go out and forage. So they, they're there and uh, you get a lot of those in the hives and, uh, and therefore your, your hive strength drops off and, and the bees just die, die early. Okay. And what other viruses do, do uh, varroa spread? The other one is slow paralysis virus, uh, what we haven't got in Australia. We haven't got the form wing virus either, so slow paralysis virus is the other one that's uh, of concern that the, they can transmit. There are, you know, with our ability nowadays to detect viruses, they're detecting all sorts of new viruses in bees, but we're not sure how, how lethal they are to the bees, whether they're just there and, uh, you know, they don't affect the bees or whether under Varroa they might become uh, greater. There's a, a Varroa virus out there they've sort of called uh, by that name and it's apparently uh, fairly deadly to bees as well so uh, any of the, any viruses you don't want with uh, with varroa around yeah that's right exactly and what other diseases or pests overseas uh, are there that we don't have here Trevor well besides the varroa the other big one is the tropolalaps yep. it's in southeast asia it's basically uh, the host of that is a giant honeybee uh, Apis dorsata or, or uh, Apis labyrinthia. Uh, there, it's very similar to Varroa in what it does. It kills bees. Uh, the only thing is that it can't survive off off a bee, uh, off larvae, and that for very long compared to Varroa. So, uh, from that point of view, they, they but they're just as bad. I mean, they went through Papua New Guinea up there. The hives up there just wiped them out up there, and uh, um, so that's the main one. And the other one, of course, is the uh, uh, tracheal mites, the internal mite that gets yes. into the care of the bees. It's over in the US, but it is one that you can breed. They've found you can breed out reasonably successful. And also, uh, you know, if, if you get varroa, particularly if you're doing the oxalic acid treatments, then it will kill tracheal mites also. So it doesn't seem to be as big a problem overseas as what it was when they first got it in the US in the 1980s. Yeah, wow. So, so um, tracheal mites—that that's, must be tiny, absolutely, almost microscopic. That's right, and you can't see them. Of course, you've got to pull the trachea out of the bee to, to look at their their trachea, the breathing tube that's you know, in the top of top of their sort of thorax there to see to see it. So you, you can't see them externally, for instance, like you can with varroa or tropolalap. So uh, the only way is you've got bees sort of crawling around on the ground and. There's a thing called K-wing, and the shape yes. of the wings is another sign for it. So, uh, but as I say, it's one of those that if if you get it, you can they can breed some sort of resistance to that fairly easily. But, and and if you have varroa, then if you're treating with exalic, then uh, you'll also be treating the the varroa mice at the same time. Okay. They used they used to use a grease-proof patty. They put some grease, Crisco, and that sort of stuff in patties uh, and feed it to bees, and that apparently had some effect on the tracheal mites as well overseas. Yeah, okay, interesting. It's interesting that beekeepers will trial different things, like, you know I mean, to put in their hives, obviously. You know, bananas is sort of one. Uh, what's the craziest thing you've seen someone, you know, use or even done it yourself, you know, inside their beehive to, to help, help fix uh, it? The worst, the worst was where when you got... Uh well, we got chalk brood because it was a fungus, so we're feeding all sorts of things like benlate. Uh, it's a fungicide they put on plants. <laughs> okay. Your beekeepers are feeding that to bees, and 
I think their hives sort of dropped off in strength, so they sort of stopped using it. But uh, yeah, that was that was a, a very unusual one they were using when we got chalk root. Well, wow, interesting. Now, and what about now? So, Apis serrana. So, we've got some feral colonies of this uh, up north. Yep. So, so, talk us about that and the impact that can have, um, you know, on the European honeybees, please, Trevor. With the serrana, the, what we call the known infested area, the KIA, goes from uh, north of Port Douglas um, down south to around Tull, just south of Tully and goes west up in the Tablelands up past Mariba uh, and there towards Dimbula Way. And up around Atherton, uh, it came in where well, we first saw it in Cairns in 2007. And fortunately, when this one came in, it never had any varroa with it. There was one swarm that uh, you know, obviously came off a boat and established in Cairns and never had the varroa. That's this varroa Jacobsoni that is with this one. And it was the Java genotype, which is the one from Indonesia. Okay. So it's up there. It's sort of spread out. It's just sort of taken, taken over areas up there. The main problem for for the beekeepers up there is if you're trying to breed queen bees or if you get queens going out because the drones of the uh, Apis serrata can mate with the European queens. Yes. You can't get it. It doesn't happen the other way around. The drones from European bees, well, they and they may try to mate with the serrata queens, but um, the understanding is that because of their genitalia, they sort of kill the queens of the okay. serrata queens. But going the other way with serrata drones mating with European uh, bees, they do mate with them and they will provide semen, but that semen can't fertilise an egg so you don't get any offspring. But, okay. of course, what happens is uh, if you've got semen stored in the spermatheca of the queen, then as she lays an egg and tries to fertilise it with, say, the serrana semen, then that's not going to hatch out. Therefore, you're not going to have as many adult bees in the colony because these uh, are eggs that come out which are no good. So you'll have less numbers in your hives and, therefore, they won't be as productive. So that's the main problem at this stage uh, up in the north there with the serrana that's there. But fortunately so far, there's been no Varroa Jacobsoni on them at all. Yes, yeah, because I was lucky enough to come and volunteer for a week and uh, had an absolute blast with uh, with you and the boys. And, um, um, yeah, I enjoy cooking for you. Was I a good chef, uh, Trevor? You were a very good chef, yes. Most definitely. We enjoyed that very much. So, yes, we had those incursions in Townsville where swarms of the Asian bees came in. Uh, definitely weren't related to the Cairns ones at all. They came in from overseas, probably Papua New Guinea. And they had the Varroa Jacobson I bites on them, so they're already established uh, on, on, in, like, in uh, Pallet Rack there was the first one in the Port of Townsville. So we've been able to eliminate them over the years, and uh, we've now sort of been through our proof of freedom stage. So they're just signing off now on the proof of freedom to say that we've got rid of that Varroa uh, from Townsville there. Oh, that's that's brilliant. That's good. That's absolutely good. Um... So, all the good work we did when we were up there. Oh, it is, isn't it? Exactly. I kept, I kept everyone uh, very uh, nourished with the, uh, <laughs> with the food. I was for the listeners. I was, um, I was because I'm a chef by trade, so I was, uh, I did a bit of the cooking, which I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed. That I really, that was, was that 2018? I think it was 2016. Six, we were oh, up there. Six, 16. Boy, time flies, doesn't it, Trevor? Yeah, yeah, yeah it certainly does. Wow, well, there you go. No, absolutely, I had a blast. That was absolutely good fun, and just and and just hanging off you with your knowledge was absolutely, you know. Absolutely amazing. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. You know, and I think for listeners, if you can hang off another beekeeper um, and and really sort of you know pump them for information and learn from them, just watch what they do as well. Sometimes, 
you know, you can talk and listen, but just watch how they behave. And that was, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Uh, now, Arbic. So, so tell us all about Arbic, uh, Trevor, what it stands for uh, when it started up and what does Arbic do? Well, Arbic is the Australian Honeybee Industry Council. It uh, was established about 1998. Uh, it took over before that. It, it, sorry, it's the National Peak Body for Beekeeping in Australia. Before that, we had the Federal Council of Australian Apiarists Association, FCAAA. I think that started back about 1935 or something like that. And it was the, the FCAAA was the peak body for all the state associations. And so what happened was that they thought that we should also be adding in people like the Honey Packers and Marketers, the Australian Queen Bee Breeders Association, the Pollination Associations, and most recently, uh, the Amateur Group from New South Wales. Uh, they've now become members of Arbic. So basically, Arbic is a group of the, of the member bodies. Beekeepers aren't members of Arbic. It's the member bodies like Queensland Beekeepers Association, New South Wales Apiarists Association, Victorian Apiarists Association, and so on. So they're all the member bodies of Arbic. And what we do is we sort of look after the beekeeping industry nationally and deal with mainly with the federal government and what's going on there and okay. uh, you know, ex- any things like export or import issues that we we can handle. Uh, we sort of try to make sure that any, anything that's held that happens within Australia nationally uh, is to the advantage of the beekeepers. So it's out there as a, uh, as a group and unfortunately the only way we can fund ourselves is through contributions from the beekeepers. So we have a scheme called Friends of Arbic where we invite beekeepers to uh, become friends of Arbic and contribute to the running of Arbic. We only have one full-time employee, that's our CEO, uh, Helen Goodall, who's in Canberra. So okay. she's right next to all the action down there so she can go and see government departments and talk with them down there. So basically uh, we're there to look after beekeeping on a national basis. We have a newsletter that comes out monthly. Yep. Uh, it's only by email, so if you're not getting it now, uh, contact Helen and she'll put you on the list for getting the Arbic newsletter, which gives you all the latest information that sort of comes out. So uh, basically we're, we, we handle all the beekeeping issues on a, a national basis, while the beekeeping associations handle all the state issues. Uh, we don't sort of delve into them unless we get asked by the state association to support them. For instance, they might be wanting a letter of support to send to their state government on a particular issue, so we we do that for them. So it's a national body and looking after beekeeping within Australia. Yeah, okay, fantastic. What, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put um, the website, Arbic website, in the show notes because uh, everyone uh, jump on, have a look, and if you've got a few bucks, you know what I mean, um, you know, donate because that's a, it's a really important because you guys are doing, uh, and girls are doing fantastic things um, because uh, there's a bit of a movement coming through now with um, obviously the issue with um, like Paraffin Wax Foundation too. So is there a bit of, I heard there's a bit of a talk on trying to ban that, Trevor, is that? Well, what we're, what we're looking for is uh, trying to get beeswax, imported beeswax tested within Australia when it comes in. Uh, but the problem is that we've been under the department federally and under the imported foods section who do a lot of the inspections, beeswax is not classed as a food, so we can't get oh. it inspected there. So what we've done is we've put a complaint into the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, the ACCC, about this stuff coming in because we've had, had it tested and now, the imported stuff's got paraffin in it and yeah. it's also got some acaricides in it, the ones they use for treating varroa overseas yeah, okay. that we don't, we haven't got here. So we're still waiting. We're still chasing up the ACCC to see what action they're going to take to 
feel we can do to have any imported beef wax brought into Australia uh, tested. And it's not not even just like foundation is for the beekeeper side, but you've got block wax coming in. Uh, we've had that tested. That's basically been uh, you know, nearly one of them was 100% paraffin and the other one was nearly about 80, 90% paraffin. Of course, the people are using them for like beeswax wraps are the big things nowadays yes. for keeping your food in. So if you're buying something, um, block wax that's imported, uh, you're probably not buying beeswax at all. You're probably uh, buying paraffin wax. And you, you can imagine it, we don't even know what's in that. So that's why we're chasing the ACCC to do something for us to make sure that any stuff coming into Australia is, is inspected. Yeah, exactly. That's that's good. Has um, uh, any wax that's come from overseas been inspected actually been 100% beeswax dry? Do we know of? We've only tested about half a dozen so far and none of it has. No, yeah. it's all been, it's all been adulterated and, and or contains chemicals. So we've sort of stopped testing stuff now because we've, we believe we've proven our case that there needs to be an inspection of the beeswax before it's allowed to be used here and sold here in Australia. But of course, things like you know, you got eBay's and Kogans mm. and all those sorts of things yes. uh, that bypass the system. So, how to get around them? Uh, well, we'll leave that up to the ACCC as to what, what they can do for us. Yeah, and and also to hopefully people, you know, I mean, even obviously we've got to watch our dollars because it's very cheap compared to Pure Beeswax Foundation. But hopefully, if the listeners have got a you know one hive or ten or a thousand, um, you know, I mean, using Australian, you know. Um, beeswax is super important so uh, is there any other changes you'd like to see is there anything else you, uh, you know um in, within the industry Trevor? oh basically anything to do to help the beekeepers uh you know we've got situations now where uh, you know the old covid's not doing too much for us and uh, a lot of beekeepers will be taking hives to almond pollination in the next few weeks so We've got a working group that works with all the state of Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, South Australian state associations and the departments and that to get together and make sure that the protocols are there in place for beekeepers to be able to take their hives in and out without having to sort of quarantine for the 14 days when they when they come back from oh, delivering course. hives to pollination and that. So that's sort of a, an issue that's cropping up now. So we're, we're, we're pushing hard on that one. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because I haven't thought about that. That's um, that's a very, very um, valid point. Yeah, with obviously, yeah, quarantine. But I suppose beekeepers are generally by themselves. You know what I mean? That's, that's right. Yeah. yeah. It's not like and we can, we can get them uh, registered as freight people. So, uh, yeah, but the thing I see now is that they're saying that, uh, you know, some of them are requiring them to be tested every three days and things like that. So uh, yeah, it's going to be a bit of an impasse, but at least, at least we can keep it going. So that's yes. the main thing. Yes, that's that's so true. That's so true. And what's your uh, most memorable beekeeping experience, Trevor? Oh, probably for me would be when I went queen rearing in 1988 when we went out and caught the first lot of queens and we put them in the post. That was probably the oh, most awesome. memorable for me back in 1988. Yes, yeah. That's awesome. Love it. And what about any bad ones? Obviously, you mentioned they're you know, sitting under the rain with a beach umbrella. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, he had a, had a few, uh, you know, got a, got a few stings around the eyes occasionally oh. and, uh, you know, closed an eye up or two every so often. But, uh, no, nah, the, nah, the worst, probably the other bad one was uh, when I had, we used to run some honey hives as well and uh, had had bees out. Uh, I'd shift them in the night before into one of the state forests uh, on the Darling Downs, a place called Barracool in north of Chinchilla and uh, sort of, Drove in, had a sleep, and woke up in the morning to unload the hives and had a flat front tire. So I oh. thought, all right, so unloaded the hives and uh, 
Yeah, I had to, uh, you know, try and change the tyre. I just couldn't get the nuts off, so I knew it was about 24 kilometres from where I was down to the forestry station. So, and I had, in those early days, mobile phone coverage wasn't real crash hot, so yes. I ended up walking the 24 kilometres into the forestry station. I knew there was a public phone there to ring up to get someone to come and do it, but the ironic part was I found out uh, a week later that uh, only about three kilometres from where I was on a bit of a hill, there was phone reception, so I could have oh. could have saved saved a few you know, twenty one kilometres of walking. So <laughs> <I'm> walking, <laughs> yeah. oh, that's a funny story. I love that. Love that. I think sometimes uh, uh, beekeepers these days might these days uh, get a little bit easier in a way. Do you think? Oh yeah, some some is some isn't. It? I mean, there's a fair bit of pressure on on beekeepers nowadays to get out and get stuff and get it there. Uh, bigger trucks, uh, you know, and then you got all the all the mechanisation that comes with it, you know, it's got its pluses and it's got yes. its minuses. So, I don't know, some people say, oh, yeah, back in the good old days. But, yes. you know, were they good old days or did we just get, yeah, did we just sort of put up with it like they're putting up with it nowadays? Yeah, that's yeah, that's uh, that's true. And uh, last question, I really appreciate your time, Trevor, is uh, knowing what you know now, if you could go back, you know, say back in, say, 20 years ago, uh, what would you change? Oh, I probably would have recognised myself a little bit quicker. Okay. Uh, you know, people with things like uh, high load, bigger, bigger trucks and bigger loaders and things like that. So I think if I'd have had my time over again, I'd have done that a little bit quicker than what I did do. Would have made it a lot easier. Might have saved the back of the neck, I don't know, uh, over time. Yes. So, you know, the old, the old Armstrong loaders and the hydraulics, you know, they <laughs> were. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they, were, they, they have a. Yeah, wearing effect on you over time, but uh, yeah, I think if one thing I probably would have recognised a little bit quicker than I did. That's it. There you go. Good answer. Now, I just want to say thank you so much for your time, and and also too, just want to say and for all the listeners, you know, Trevor does an amazing job with Arbic. You know, what I mean, he sort of volunteers time and does a lot, a lot of work. You know, what I mean, it's um, getting those emails and it's really interesting. So, I just want to say, you know, multiple thank yous, Trevor, because you're an absolute gem. Really appreciate it. Yeah, well, I only put back in. I I think there were people when I was a young fellow. There were people out there doing the job and keeping the industry going. So I felt well, I've got to keep it going now, and hopefully those coming behind will keep it going in the future. Yes, yes, and and a big shout out too to your wife Marion. That's uh, for putting up with you all those years while you're away yeah. to working with bees. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's uh, certainly been around. We've been uh, married now forty eight years. So oh, congratulations! That is absolutely awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, Trevor. You're an absolute gem, and I really super appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Yeah. Anytime, Ben. Anytime. Fantastic. Take care. All the best. Wow. 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 How amazing is Trevor? Absolute wealth of knowledge. Like, I just love his absolute experience, and, and I was so fortunate enough... Um, as you said, 2016, so what's that? Five years ago, uh, volunteered some time, and we had some good lads too. Um, there was Jeff from Canberra, uh, Paul and Simeon Volkenberg. Uh, who else we have there? We had Trevor? I'm trying to remember who else. But, so we were out um, doing all these awesome, cool things up in Townsville, um, you know, checking hobbyist uh, hives, working with uh, Biosecurity Queensland, and that was an absolute amazing, amazing experience, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. And what Trevor's doing, as he said, you know, uh, giving back to the industry, back to the community with Arbic. So so real encourage everyone. I'm going to put in the show notes, uh, the Arbic website. Uh, any little bit helps. You know what I mean? If you donate, it's a very, very absolute brilliant thing that they're doing. And as you hear Trevor talking about the beeswax, because that is a big issue. 
right? And an absolute big, big issue we're going to see. And it's absolute to have adulterated honey. We all jump up and down and scream and carry on. 100%. That's what we've got to do. And it's really, we've done some good things here in Australia. We want to support the industry, support Australian beekeepers. Um, and when it comes to beeswax, you know, that's you know flying through the radar. And it's horrible. Absolute Horrible stuff. To have a, a petrochemical in with your bees is disgusting. So uh, keep up the great work with the Arbic and Trevor. Absolute amazing. Uh, really appreciate his time. And and Trevor, he gets around everywhere. Every time I've seen him, I've bumped into him in all these conferences and things, and he's just so passionate. He's just full. You know, I mean, I love beekeepers like that. You know, and the beekeepers always are. They're passionate and they're really, really, uh, really fantastic. And that's what Trevor's done is brilliant. So uh, so thank you, for the listener, for listening to the podcast. Uh, really appreciate, sincerely appreciate and humbled that you listen to it and uh, you take care. Don't forget any one you want to listen to, let me know. Or a tip. You know what? If you got a tip or a trick, uh, you know, everyone, beekeepers try different things and we're very innovative as to what we do. So if you've got something, shoot me for a text message and I'll, um, I can, uh, yeah, put it up. I'll uh, speak it out in the podcast. So thank you once again. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to Bees with Ben podcast and we hope you learnt some tips and tricks. It would mean a lot if you could please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe to get instant updates when a new episode is uploaded. See you next week.